This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. For those who are unfamiliar with church calendars, uh, church calendars are something, or calendars, religious calendars, is something we inherit from the temple. And uh, for many churches still to this day, we, we, they follow a religious calendar, and we are in the season of Epiphany. Anyone know what Epiphany means? Okay, not the priests. <laughs> it's a Latin word for the appearing. And you have this little season where a lot of the readings uh, highlight the, uh, the sudden appearance or the appearance of Jesus in different forms. His birth, the magicians from the east coming uh, to, to be with Jesus, his appearing in the temple as a baby for his circumcision, his naming. And, uh, and here, the appearance of Jesus suddenly in the desert to go and get baptized. And so we are talking about the baptism of Jesus, which is actually a really important event because it's in all the four Gospels and it's in most of the epistles. And compared with the birth of Jesus, which is only in two of the Gospels. So which one's more important? Hmm. In all of the Gospels, there's a very important part of their narrative of the, of the baptism. They all have the baptism from a different perspective, but in all of them, they all have the voice of the Lord. So we're going to talk about that and contemplate that a little tonight as well. So Micah, put up our first image. Now I know this is a Protestant church. And I've just brought an icon into a Protestant church. So obviously I'm very evil. But um, icons are not something that you worship. Right? Before we could read the Bible, how did we read the Bible? With our eyes. Right? Before you could read, before you even had a Bible, you would walk into a church and you would look at pictures. Pictures tell you a thousand words. You don't worship the icon. The icon helps you worship the Lord. So this is an, uh, a Greek one of the baptism of Jesus. So a few things we might notice. First of all, I'm going to say a, a point and then get back to it later. Jesus' baptism is not like our baptism. I'm going to explain that one. But just looking at the icon, looking at the picture, what do you see? Where is Jesus? He's, he's in the middle of the water. Where's John the Baptist? He's on the land. Right? So in uh, all throughout Christian history, and probably still to this day, we all debate and argue and get into fights about how you should be baptized. Should it be as a baby, should it be as an adult? Can I just pour water on your head? Can I spit, throw a bucket? Do we need to be immersed in water? Does it have to be hot, cold, sparkling, or still? How do we do this? Well, first of all, let's have a look at the picture and notice that in baptism, in its Jewish context, uh, Jewish baptisms were full immersion and they were very personal, they were very individualistic. You went into the water. No one touched you. You went in 
uh, mostly you went in naked. Okay? Uh, in this case, he's just got a towel around him. Okay, here you have Jesus in, in the River Jordan. It's in the desert. And so geography is also very important to the Byzantines. The geography of salvation, where things happen in the text, becomes very important. So John's message, John the Baptist, his message is prepare the way. Where? In the desert. A voice of one crying. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So the wilderness, the desert regions, become the place where uh, messianic expectation starts to ferment. The Messiah is going to come from the desert. People leave the cities and go out into the desert to hear the preachers, to talk to the sages and the wise men, and to engage in acts of repentance. And according to early Byzantine tradition, this event occurred not too far from Jericho. Don't notice, it's a desert experience. It's not uh, up near Tiberias with all the beautiful trees and things like that, although Yadonid is pretty. This one has him down near Jericho. Now, if we said the word Jericho, what does that remind you of in the Bible? Joshua. Okay, so we're going to storm into, into Canaan. Okay, the the uh, conquest begins, and the first battleground is the city of Jericho, where we destroy it. What does God ask us not to do? Rebuild the darn thing, <laughs> which we do anyway. Okay, one of the things about the whole idea of the voice of the Lord is we should listen to it, but too often we do not, and so Jericho unfortunately became a place. Uh, of, of, of darkness, of evil again. But where does the redemption start? Near Jericho. Okay, where does the Messiah make his appearance? In the desert near there. Prepare the way of the Lord. See, so here we have Jesus engaging in his baptism, which is personal. By himself, John the Baptist stands up and preaches, and people walk into the water by themselves. And then they come out when they're ready. This has a lot to do with being ritually clean. Something we pick up from the book of Leviticus, which in my opinion is the best book in the Bible. It's, no, it's true. Um, Genesis tells us that God is the creator, Yes? Yes, and that he works with families. Exodus tells us that he's a redeemer. And he's a lawgiver. But only Leviticus tells us that he's holy. And tells the people, if you want to look like me, if you want to be holy like me, this is how you do it. It's where you get all the best verses from. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes? Yes. Even, even the little details of the book. When you have a sacrifice, we're just learning this the other day, God says, eat your sacrifice. Keep nothing to the next day. So if you have to eat a goat in one night, what are you going to do? You're going to invite people. Yes, Lila, who's got the gift of hospitality and you're probably all invited to her house for Shabbat dinner. Okay. Generosity. 
You're not going to eat it all, your, all, all yourself, so you're going to share. It's already implied, and it's the best of books. But it also talks about that, uh, that in God's character, he cannot abide death. God is life, and death cannot come into his presence. That is the, and so when his priests, they cannot have a disfigurement or a scar or, or have uh, like bad eyesight. They've got to have nothing to do with the death of this world. So they were genetically pure. So to get rid of the taint of death, because God is life, you have to clean yourself. And you clean yourself with living water. What is living water? Water from heaven. It's rainwater. It's water from God. It's God's water. And that teaches us that God is life and he's bigger than death. And he will wash it all away and make us all clean. Now this will make us clean from ritual impurity. Now let's be careful. Ritual impurity is not a sin. Okay? Maintaining a state of ritual impurity deliberately, that's a sin. Now, what's, what's, how do you get ritually impure? Well, pretty much everything. Walk out your front door, most likely you will become ritually impure. For example, um, my dad dies. I need to bury dad. Burying my father is a good thing. Yes? Can't just leave him on the ground, can I? No. Nope. So, so I bury dad. But I've touched death. I can't walk into God's presence now with that, that, that taint on me. I haven't done anything wrong. I've actually done a good thing. But now I want to go and worship the Lord. And he's life. And everything about him is life. So he says, Aaron, have a baptism. The waters of life will, will make you clean. And then when you're clean and I've defeated death, come into my presence. We'll talk. Okay? And so for Jesus, every time he went into the temple, guess what he had to do? He had to have a baptism. He probably had quite a lot. Every time the apostles in the book of Acts, every time they went into the temple, even after the resurrection, they would have had to have a baptism. And in any of the archaeology in the city, you will find that the Jewish people were obsessed with water. They had it all over the place. They figured out how to even bring it into their city. God blessed Israel with lots of rock, not a lot of water, but they figured out where to get it from. Okay? They had their desalination plants back then too. Okay? And they, they brought uh, water in from Hebron via these wonderful aqueducts, and, uh, and they engaged in baptism. And so this is, is a part of the baptism what Jesus is doing. We think of baptism, especially in the Protestant world, uh, in only individual terms. Okay? I'm being baptized. Please come to my baptism. But in the Jewish thought, they don't think individually, they think nationally. It's not just about me, it's about us. It's our Father. Forgive us our sins. We are a holy people not just me myself and I it's about us and so 
for, for John the Baptist, he's out there getting people ready for the Messiah. They're expecting something big and great to happen. At the same time, he's challenging them. You know that we need to repent. Repent brings, brings, uh, repentance brings the redemption. We've got stories of that. We remember the prophet Daniel. When he was reading uh, the book of Jeremiah, he discovered that uh, after 70 years captivity, God was going to let them go. Redemption was drawing nigh. What's the first thing Daniel does? Starts praying. In his prayer, he repents. What did he do wrong? He joins in the repentance of his nation and says, we're sorry. Our sin brought us here. My sin brought, brought us here. And I'm going to repent. And Jesus does the same thing. As the nation is repenting, Jesus joins in with the nation. And that is for righteousness' sake. So Jesus, in his baptism, he identifies with us. He identifies with his people. He identifies with Israel. He identifies with, his, with our humanity. At the baptism of Jesus, we learn he's human. He identifies with our brokenness. So in his baptism, he's identifying with us. In our baptism, we identify with him. Very different type of baptism. So let's have a look at the text. So in verse 15... The people were in expectation. So they were, are under occupation and they are expecting that sometime soon, very soon, the Messiah is going to come. The apocalypse is going to start. The end of the world is before us. 2,000 years later, no change really. Okay. When's the Messiah coming? Soon and very soon. We have lots of John the Baptist telling us that he's just around the corner. The apocalypse is about to start. The economy is about to collapse. How long has the economy just been about to collapse? I think since I was 12. Okay? It was collapsing. It's very soon, though. I mean, eventually, one of these guys with the signs are going to be right, yes? Eventually. But they were expecting the Messiah. And it was, it was uh, quite the thing because the people were flocking to, Jesus, uh, to John the Baptist. And when you read the texts, he talks to soldiers, he talks to Jews, he talks to religious leaders, he talks to the poor people, he even talks to Jesus. And they're all expecting the Messiah. They even think John the Baptist is the Messiah. And we've still got that problem here 2,000 years later. We think all kinds of people are the Messiah. Um, in Israel, we've got about three or four Messiahs running around. Actually, none of them are actually running around. They're all dead. But we've still got pictures of them anyway. And we're kind of hoping that they might resurrect sooner or later. When Jesus meets John, okay, he's going to say, I'm not even worthy to, to untie this man's shoes. We don't actually know what John the Baptist knows about Jesus, but I'm going to hesitate a guess. They probably did know each other. How do I know this? I don't know this. I'm guessing. 
Their mothers knew each other, did they not? And as babies, they knew each other while I was still in their womb. And so their family, so every time Jesus comes down to Jerusalem with his family, who do you think he's going to pay a visit to? Family's going to get together. So they probably know each other quite well. And John the Baptist knew his place. Did he not? Are you the Messiah, John? Nope. Are you Elijah? Nope. Actually, Jesus is going to come later and say that he is. But in, in John's worldview, he believed that the apocalypse was right around the corner. He believed that the Messiah was just about to arrive. In fact, when he sees Jesus, he says, that's the Lamb of God. But he also knew his place. Humbly, he could say, I'm not even worthy to, to take off this guy's shoes. And that's, that's the job of the servant. That's one of the lowliest jobs that there is in Jewish tradition. There's even a Jewish tradition that says the rabbi cannot even ask his disciples to do that. Okay? That's, that's something for the servants to do. But so John knew his place. And when I read these texts, sometimes I think, gee, wouldn't it be nice if we knew ours? Okay, sometimes we've, we make ourselves a little too big. Let's wait for Jesus to make us big. Let's wait for Jesus to lift us up. The first will be, they will be last. And the last, but it takes practice to be last. It takes practice to be humble. It takes practice to have patience and humility. And this, this, this baptism of Jesus has a lot of people being patient, apart from the fact that John thinks that the eschatology is about to start. Because when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That good uh, symbol of judgment. I'm going to burn all the bad guys. But for us, we're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, that is in the, in the text that Jesus would have had, um, the term the Holy Spirit actually doesn't occur. You have the word Holy Spirit, but it's only in, it's only mentioned three times, and it's always with a possessive. Does anyone know what that means? English speakers? It means uh, words like your Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. There's no definite article, which in English is the. There's no the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always given a possessive. It belongs to somebody else. And in the Second Temple period, um, which is sort of that bit that comes after Malachi and around the same time as Matthew, in that, that block of 400 years... There are actually lots and lots of books written. Lots of them. More, more than this. And, uh, and in that, in that uh, time, they actually begin to discuss the Holy Spirit. That's when you first get the term Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. They look at, um, uh, at the, uh, the, the idea of Ruach in Hebrew is breath. And they look at the first time that God ever breathed. And the first time the Spirit's ever mentioned, which is in which book? Uh, 
in Genesis. Okay, what's the first thing we see the Holy Spirit doing? Yes, hovering, floating, brooding. In, in what way? How, how does, the, how does the, the Holy Spirit hover? I don't know. Um, I think in modern Hebrew it says helicoptered. Is that about right? Okay, the Holy Spirit helicoptered over the waters. Um, but in, the, in, the, in Jewish tradition, they believed or they began to say the Holy Spirit brooded over the water like a dove. Okay, which is what we see in our text now. The, 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 when God made Adam, there was Adam lying on the ground. Everything about Adam was there. Everything. Except he didn't get up and move. Why not? He was dead. So where did he get his life from? From God. And God breathed into him. And so breath and ruach, spirit, they're the same word. Ruach, breath, and ruach, spirit, same word. And they would say that, wow, breath is one of the most important things. In fact, this is the most important thing for a human. Because if you don't have it, what's going to happen to you? You will die. And, uh, and breath is so mystical and so powerful and so evasive that I can't get it. I know you've got it, but I can't take it from you, put it in a box, and use it for myself later when I run out of breath. I have no way to put it back in me. And so breath became the life-giving spirit. And it was, often in the, in the text, it was given to kings and to prophets. And they were there to give life to the people. So John believes that the apocalypse is around the corner. The winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to start separating the wheat from the chaff, the wheat of the good guys, the chaff and the bad kernels. They're the bad guys. We're going to burn them up. Who is getting judged in John's apocalypse? Everyone. Jews and Gentiles. Who's actually repenting in the desert? Jews. And if there happened to be a few stray Gentiles floating around, probably some of them too. Okay, but who was actually going to cop the judgment? People of Israel. Who's going to cop the judgment when the Messiah returns? The church. See, often we think, oh, we're fine. Now that I've got Jesus, nothing bad will happen to me. Which, when you go through history, if you were a Christian, most likely... Things started that were bad happened to you. Okay, we have how many people die because of their faith every year? Over a hundred thousand. Isn't that terrible? Our brothers and sisters. But the church will also be judged, and we will get a reward, says Paul. There will be rewards. Now, in verse twenty-one, it says, "When all the people were baptized." Jesus is also baptized. He has a special baptism. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. Only Luke records that Jesus prayed during his baptism. Okay? Matthew, Mark, John don't, don't record this event. Luke does. And uh, so for Jesus, he's praying. 
to who? Who's Jesus praying to? He's praying to the Father. The Father is God. Jesus is God. <laughs> yes. And yet, one guy is praying to the other, which tends to imply that there are... It's a mystery, isn't it? It gets, it gets quite complicated when we start to try and grasp Jesus, who exactly are you praying to? And why? If the Father and I are one, he says in John, doesn't God know what you're going to say? In fact, in Matthew, Jesus says God already knows what you're going to, your Father in heaven knows what you're going to pray anyway. But prayer in Hebrew, lehit palel, is a reflexive verb. Does anyone know what a reflexive verb is? Something you do to your self. Isn't that interesting? Prayer is something you do to your self. Does God need your prayers? Does he need them? If no one here prays to, the, to God, is he still God? Yes. Is he still going to do his will? Yes. Is he still going to win? Yes. Is he still going to come back? Yes. So who needs to pray? We do. Jesus himself needed to pray. There's no command in the Bible to pray. There are lots of commands in the Bible, but one of them is not to pray. It's actually implied. This is something you will do because you need to. And the Messiah himself did it. And while he was praying, heaven opens. And it says, and it says it very clearly here, actually. Spirit came down in bodily form like a dove. And I think ever since then, the Holy Spirit has been typecast as a bird ever since. Which is very unfortunate if you're a redneck from America. Because okay? you ain't ever going to get saved. Every time the Holy Spirit comes down, some redneck shoots him. Okay? <laughs> ain't no spirit bird going to get control of me. Okay? But here you have a, 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 good a good sign of the Trinity. Heaven opens. You can see heaven. And that veil is torn. The Spirit comes. It says in, in the Gospel of John that, that John the Baptist actually sees the Spirit go down onto Jesus. And why he needed to see that, I don't know. But perhaps just to help John, he needed to see just that bit of, uh, of the miracle. So Jesus uh, is baptized, not just with water, but now also with the Spirit. As a dove, just like we see him in Genesis 1. And then, probably the most important part, this, the voice from heaven. Voice, Jesus is going to hear this voice three times in his life. He's going to hear it at his baptism. He's going to hear it at the transfiguration. He's going to hear it at the cross. And here, God speaks. When God speaks, he speaks through Scripture. He doesn't just make stuff up and say, Hey, Jesus, how's it going? Give me a high five, bro. Good job. This is my son. Where's that from? Psalm 2. This is the beloved. I'm well pleased 
my, uh, my beloved servant, Isaiah 42. God speaks in biblical language, through biblical texts, to his son. He speaks using scripture. That is a very important point. Note this bit. Uh, Jesus starts off humble. He starts off being very patient. Starts off his ministry being very obedient to his parents. He wanted to start the show when he was 12 years old. And his parents said, no, you're not old enough. So you need to come and stay with us for a bit. He took time to grow in grace and truth. It was not something instant. And I think we need to learn that too. Especially students. It takes time for us to learn our identity and who we are. It takes time and practice even just to be church. We're going to have some mistakes to make. We need to Make them and repent of them. Try again harder. We need to learn to listen to God because there are lots of voices in this world and they're all talking to us. There's the, the voice of the culture, the voice of distractions, the voices of the economy, the voices of our parents the voices of our work, the voices of our families, the voices of our ministries. Some of them are very good voices. Some of them are very distracting, especially when we stop hearing the voice of God and the voice of the Lord. How does the Lord speak? Scripture. One of the things I appreciate about Anglican liturgy is at the end, every time we pick this book up, okay, where do we read it from? Read it from the center of the community, which is something actually we inherit from the synagogue. Where do Jewish people read their, their Torah from? Right from the middle. Well, we do too. In fact, in traditional churches, you actually process the book. You would actually walk the book into the middle of the congregation and then start reading. And at the end of reading... You say, this is the word of the Lord. Listen. And in Hebrew, Shema, listen, also means obey. Okay? Put it into practice. So we need to practice listening to the voice of the Lord. Now, don't, I'm not saying that God can't speak to you directly. He can. But when he does... Be very careful that it's his voice and not someone else's. So please note that when God speaks, he speaks using scripture. If you hear a voice that says anything, that's not scriptural. It is not God. And you must run away from it. It is for your good as much as it is mine. Because we're in this together now. You, we are a family. We are the, the people of God. And God wants to talk to us. 
He wants us to talk to him. He wants also to talk to us. There's no need to stop reading the text. because You're going to need this to hear the voice of God. The next slide is the one I'll finish on. Micah. This is a a very famous um, picture of the Trinity where instead of having some old guy and then some young guy and then some bird, you um, end up with three men. They're all the same. They're wearing different, different colors and there's meanings for those and you can try and figure those out as well. But here they are, sitting down at a table and there's a space for you and me. And one of them is reaching out with a, a glass, uh, a drink, saying, come, come drink with me. I want to hear how your day was. I want to tell you what I think about it. would like to talk. The voice of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, we need to learn to listen. We need to not just talk to God. We do. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to listen to his voice through scripture. We need to listen to his voice as he speaks. And we, then when we hear it, we need to put it into practice. We do not do this alone. Not only do I do this with you, not only do I do this with a family or the people of God, who do I do this with? Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, which was poured out 2,000 years, is right here. And that, very good news. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.